Welcome to True Grit and Grace, a podcast designed to empower you to claim your resilience and thrive through life's challenges. I am Amberly Lago, a mindset coach, fitness expert, and best-selling author. Each week, I'll dive deep with the world's brightest thought leaders and elite performers to share tangible tools and practical advice to inspire you to keep your eyes on the prize and forge ahead. So get ready to conquer your fears, heal any trauma, lead with your heart, and elevate your life with grit and grace. Welcome back, and thank you so much for being here. Today's guest has definitely had his share of ups and downs and truly turned tragedies into triumphs. He's a TED Talk speaker, successful brand expert. This has gone viral. I mean, viral on several occasions on social media. And he is an amazing creator, entertainer, entrepreneur. In fact, he's been featured on Fox, NBC, Yahoo, and CNN, just to name a few. And he was actually just named by Yahoo as the top 20 entrepreneurs to look out for. He speaks all over the world to empower others. And he has now started to launch his own TV show called America's Gone Viral. So welcome to the show, the one and only Brian Breach. What an intro. I got to bring you around to all these events to intro me like that. Oh my God. Well, you're amazing. We were talking before we started recording and I was just saying how amazing you are, but truly you can tell that you have such a big heart in everything that you do, whether it's speaking to an audience or on a panel or on the news, or you can just see how you interact with your followers on Instagram. And you guys, if you aren't following him on Instagram, head over there because one of the things that I love that you do is you put so much humor in your stories. (laughs) They always make me laugh. Yeah, I do my best. I feel like you got to bring humor into this ridiculously crazy world. There's so much craziness going on. If you don't have some kind of humor, you don't try to find funny in every situation, you're going to go crazy. You're going to get sucked into a world of negativity and you'll never dig yourself out. So I always try to find the humor side of things and the positive side of things. I could see the most craziest thing on the right. I could see a cat get run over by the road and not find humor in it, but I'll try to find a life lesson in it somehow, some way. I I love that you do that. And one of the things that you speak on is really learning from all of your failures. And so I want to talk about that. But I also want to tell people just how you grew up because I've actually listened to your TED Talk more than once. I've listened to it a few times. I love yours, by the way, too. Oh, thank you. And I think we met right before I was on my way to go give my TED Talk. And I was so nervous. It's so awesome because now that I've done one and I see other people getting ready to do it, I get kind of excited for them. You know what I mean? So I remember when you were getting ready to do it, like in my head, I was like, yes, that's so like, it hypes me up to see that you're about to go through the nervousness that I Oh my gosh. Yes. And I got some stories about that. Oh Oh, it is. I paced around this little office so many times just practicing my talk because you have to be so precise in a short amount of time. And your story is so huge and so big. And I love how you 
put a lot of your struggles as a child because, you know, most of us don't have an easy or perfect childhood, yeah. but you definitely had some hard times. And I think that you have learned to look at the positive and have humor to get through some of those times, like just how you grew up. Right. No, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah Sorry, did, you, did you grow up? Because you're in Miami now, right? Yeah, technically. So I now you're I'm all over. In, yeah, I tell people <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, which I was living in recently, but it's easier to say Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I grew up in New York. I mm -hmm. lived there till I was eight. And in that time from when I was born to eight was, you know, it's weird because it had its good moments, but it was so tumultuous at the time. Now that I look back on it, when you're going through some of those things that I went through, it was normal to me. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. to me, it's like normal to get hit by a parent. You know what I mean? Like beat by parents it's normal when people are dying around me but then when you get older and the retrospect you look back and you're like holy crap that was crazy it yeah. wasn't until years later where i started analyzing everything i'm like what the hell happened but when mm -hmm. you're going through you're just like this is what life is supposed to you don't know any different when you're that age you don't know mm -hmm. anything that happened before now that i'm in my 30s you look back and you're like wow that's not normal that's not supposed yeah. to happen but yeah, yeah it's, it's been a crazy journey yeah there was the other night, my husband was sitting on the couch with my daughter and he was just holding her and kissing her. And it was weird to me because I didn't grow up with a father that would hug me and kiss me. That just wasn't his way. I didn't right. have that. And I thought, well, no, that's not weird. That's normal. That's how a father loves his daughter. So true. You know? I had a moment like that yesterday. I was leaving a department store and I try not to get sad about what happened with my mom and all that stuff, but every once in a while it comes back around and it hits mm. me in the chest. So I was walking and I saw this mother and a son, the guy's got to be like early thirties, late twenties or something like that. And he's walking with his mom and I overhear them talking about like, he's telling her about his relationship. And just for the brief moment, I heard her say like give dating advice. And it was so weird. Like I usually don't get like this, but it hit me in the chest. I'm like, what would my life have been like if my mom didn't pass away or she wasn't the way she was? And I'm at this point in my life and I'm walking in a grocery store and we're talking like normal people giving each other advice and she's guiding me even in my 30s now, you know what I mean? And I just reflected for a moment. I was like, damn, I don't have that. I never had that. I love my dad to death, but we don't get those moments as much as we should. It's like, that's normal. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I wish yeah. some days I wish I would have had that. And some days I wish I still have that, but you know, I just have to take what I have. And these are the cards I was dealt, you know, I, yeah. have, to, I have to play them the best I can try not to let it affect me negatively, you know? Yeah. Well, with your mom, you mentioned something in your TED talk about, it was like a quick one sentence. And I was like, wait, what was that that he just said about human trafficking? Oh, oh, okay. Slightly confused with, um, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Interstate trafficking. That's oh, I was like, human? So, what, what, let me yeah, rewind yeah. that. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, I said it super quick. Absolutely. It's funny because I very rarely say the interstate trafficking thing. What happened was she was caught shipping drugs out of state to, I believe it was different colleges and things like that. Oh, and my dad oh. had told, it's crazy because I love hanging out with my dad because when we have these drive to my sister's house, we talk about the past a lot. And he keeps filling me in by accident on new things that I didn't know about the story. And I'm talking about for a decade, I learned something new every time I'm with him. He forgets to tell me certain things and then little things pop up. So he told me everything that was going on and how he found all her clients and this and that. This is when my dad was working like 80 hours a week type of stuff. And 
yeah, she got caught and they came to arrest her and she ended up taking a lesser charge. She had really good lawyers. She didn't get interstate trafficking. They, they bumped it down to like drug use or something like that. She was arrested and got probation or something like that. It was such a crazy story around what happened there, you know. Well, I think, you know, when you grow up like that, I made a different choice. I had a healthy outlet. You know, I used athleticism and I was yeah. a dancer. And so my default was to do something to make me feel good, like make good grades or, you know, right. be on the honor roll or whatever that was. But, you know, my brothers grew up in the same environment. And right. one of my brothers sits on death row. Really? My other brother is in and out of jail. And I am pray to God he's sober. But we grew up the same way but they didn't have that outlet or they wow. didn't make that choice to really, you know, it's an easy road. So I'm only saying that because that could be me. I could have easily made different choices. What do you think that was in you that made you think, you know what, I want more out of life. I'm going to make something out of my life because you know, you didn't have the easiest childhood. You didn't have someone say, okay, well, here's all this money for you and we want you to go to school and here's an apartment we're going to pay for and get you all set up. <laughs> yeah, you know, was... What was it in you that was like, okay, I'm going to make something. I'm going to do something with my life. Where do you think that came from? Well, just briefly, just to touch on just what you said, your story, not a hundred percent, but it reminds me of, are you familiar with the Whitey Bulger story at all? No, I'll um, write that down. Whitey Bulger is a gangster in Boston. Johnny Depp actually made a movie with him called Black Mass, and he was the biggest gangster. He went to Alcatraz. He was on the run. And wow. the craziest part about this entire story was that Whitey Bulger, he had a brother. And while Whitey Bulger became the biggest gangster in Boston, his brother went on to be the biggest politician in Boston. Wow. At the same wow. So picture that dynamic. You have the biggest gangster who's murdering people, racketeering. He went on the run for 13 years. They just found him and he was just stabbed to death in prison at the age of 80 something. Meanwhile, his brother was a powerful politician who went the right route, although he had to step down because of his connection to his brother after years and years and years. But still, it's crazy how we can go different routes. So to get back to what you were saying, what made me do that? You know, at a young, like I have a nephew and I love him to death and he's starting to finally wise up and I love him so much. But there are certain times I'll talk to him about things. He goes, you know, about a clothing line. He's like, I don't want to start a clothing line. Why would anyone care? Nobody cares. You can't do that. And like his mindset was like high school is everything. Nothing past that. With me, it was different. It wasn't until a little bit later, I think I took a business class when I was 18. Although I was always an entrepreneur. Ever since I was a kid, I was trying to find ways to make money. I'm talking about from the minute I came out the womb. I was figuring out ways to make money and it became, I don't want to say an addiction, but it became something I was very into. But I remember taking a business class at 18, Mr. Evans, he told us we should draw out what kind of business we want. And I was thinking about a clothing store and I remember drawing it out and I put the cash register where I wanted it and the clothes. And I remember, I don't want to say it was a defining moment. I was always a hustler, but I remember at that moment, it made me realize this could be real and that you could have more out of life. And I just never understood the people that felt like life was this thing where there was nothing more. And Steve Jobs had said this quote, and I love it. It motivates me every time I hear it. He says, life isn't just this thing. You could push life and something pokes out on the other side. And when I think about that, I think about something like this. Like, let's say you have nothing going on in your life, nothing. You have nothing to look forward to, nothing in business. 
you could sit home for maybe three days, start connecting with people on social media, sending out 100 DMs, and I swear to God, within a day, you'll probably have something in the works, a mm-hmm. connection that you made that will get you in real estate, a connection that you made that will get you to go to a conference that'll meet you, some people that'll get you involved in something. You can have nothing going on and create something out of nothing. And I think it's that enthusiasm about life that I've always had. It's been in me. I don't know if I got it from my dad or at a young age, but I don't want to live a crappy life. I've seen it. And my deathly fear is being homeless. There's something about it. When I see somebody who's homeless, which breaks my heart, (sighs) it Mm -hmm. scares the living crap out of me. The Mm -hmm. worst I think I've ever, to the point that I've ever gotten, this was after I already got kicked out of my house when I was 19 or 20. I lived in someone's garage. I had a U-Haul. I had no place to go. I had no credit. And I was lucky enough that this apartment complex gave me a chance. I would have been on the streets that night, but I lived in a garage for a year. And I just always thought to myself, I want something better. This cannot be life. You can get more out of life. Mm -hmm. You can call it hustling. You can call it whatever you want to call it. There's more out of this life. And it's been in me. It's a feeling I had. And then I surround myself with motivation and all the movies that I watch and the things that have my wall behind me, the posters I have here. Everything in my life is geared to motivate me so I don't forget because a lot of times you forget the route that you're supposed to be going. There have been so many times I'm like, wait, why am I starting a clothing line again? And then I'm like, oh, okay, because the original thoughts, because I want to promote a brand, I want to push, I want to put up. And you have to remind yourself of these things over and over. Even my grandmother, who was a vicious woman, but still have decent memories where I remember her telling me, like yelling me saying, no one's going to do anything for you in this fucking life. You have to motivate yourself. You know what I mean? Wow. This is a woman who is not a nice woman, but I still have better memories with her than my own mother. But I remember that clearly. Like you do, you have to motivate yourself. But it's always in me, long story short, to want more out of this life. We're only here for a short time. Every person that you see on this earth right now will be gone in 80 to 110 years or whatever. And Mm. that's it. That's all we have. And from the age of zero to 10, you can't really do much to improve your life as your kid. And then, you know, when you're 80, your quality of life declines. So you really have a shorter window between your teens and 70s, whatever, you know? So yeah, that's all we got. I love that you have posters around to remind you and to keep you on track because as an entrepreneur, and there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are entrepreneurs. For me, when I had a set schedule, I had my own business. I still trained some clients, but I mean, I was doing personal training full-time, seven days a week. I had three uh, what, fitness, or? fitness and I had three trainers that worked for me, but it was a pretty set schedule. But then when I really dove into, you know, being an entrepreneur and wearing so many different hats and right. having to learn how to do social media, and I'd never done any of that. <laughs> people that are listening that are entrepreneurs and you talk a lot about when you speak about how to stay focused and how to, because when you're working a nine to five job, you don't really have to think so, you know, you go to work at nine, you get off at five, but when you're an entrepreneur, there are going to be so many distractions. There are going to be so many different things that you go, Oh, should I put my money into this part of my business or this part of my business? Yes. What do you do to make sure that you're staying on the path that you're supposed to be taking? Because I know that you must be pulled in a million different directions. How do you stay on track for your path and stay motivated to keep going there instead of getting distracted by things or making the right decisions not to maybe do that TV show interview? 
what do you do as an entrepreneur right. to be successful and to be where you are? Right. I guess there's different methods. Last year, to me, my method was really taking on everything. And sometimes that's a problem for me because I take on too much stuff. And it does. It pulls me in dramatically different directions. And now I'm in a weird transition because I've stopped taking on a million things like I did last year. And I'm only focusing on the TV show. But it's worrying me because I feel like I'm turning down all this stuff. And I have this weird downtime now. And it's one of those things. When you're in a nine to five, you're being micromanaged. And somebody could tell you what to do. So it, it kind of keeps you on path. And if you don't have that mindset, if you sit home every day and you don't have that mindset that you're going to keep yourself on path and write your own schedules out, then you're going to get sucked into watching eight episodes at a time. And I can 100% blame myself that I've done that before. There are times, even up to present day, I'm sitting here and there's now that I'm in this weird transition where I'm not taking on a million things, I'm going to try not to speak, although I'm going to Columbia in February. I'm going to try not to speak and go across the country this year mm -hmm. so I can stay and finally focus on one thing. So I have more downtime here. So I'm sitting around, I'm like, and I start getting worried. You know, the friends that I'm talking, I'm like, damn it, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do because I'm only working on this TV show. And the thing with the show is, it's a process. I have to, just to get the venue, it's going to take another month for us to do the auditions. So in that month period of time, except for get the guests on the show, I got to just somehow fill up the schedule, keep myself focused. I have a board in my room. I have like seven whiteboards in my room. Yeah. I have a list of things that I need to do. So my recommendation to people is make sure you are writing stuff down. Make sure you're putting your schedule. Do not just wake up with zero plan because I've done it. I don't tell people things just to tell people. I tell people things from 100% my experience. When mm -hmm. I have no schedule written out and I have no idea what I'm going to do the following day, my day becomes an endless nothingness, you know? Mm. So get your vision board, put it up on your wall. Now I'm not focusing on so many things, but when you do have a lot of things to focus on, it's actually better. Your day goes by faster and there's so many things you could do. So if I'm not working on the TV show and I have 10 other things going on, you just pick one thing at a time. I had a question at Epic Talks Miami recently. I think it was somebody said something like, I'm trying to do this, 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 this. Where do I start? And I said, you know where you start? Don't worry about where you start. Just start. That's the mm -hmm. point. Even if you have to find one thing out of the 20 things you need to do, even if it's out of order, it doesn't matter. My favorite slogan on earth is the Nike slogan. Just do it. Pick one thing, get it done, move on to the next. Don't sit there and think for five weeks on what you're going to start first because then you just burn five weeks. Grab one little part of that and just do it. And you're going to get so many more things done that way. Just Whatever it is, wake up that morning and do it. If it's reading a book, if it's trying to get on a podcast, if it's starting your own podcast. People have asked me, how do I start a podcast? I've never started a podcast, but I tell them the same thing. Just do it. Buy the microphone first. Just do something. Whatever it is, do it. That's my biggest thing. That's where a lot of people fail is because they don't just do it. They sit there and contemplate. And contemplate, oh, yeah. Contemplate. Or make excuses or, you know, it's yeah. oh, well, I'm going to do it when this or because I now coach a lot of people. And right. one of the things that I hear often is, oh, yeah, well, when I can hire somebody to do that, I'm like, no, 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 no. You no. need to do it. Like, right. You need to figure it out. They're like, well, you know, when I hire somebody to figure out my Instagram for me. And I'm like, no. no you have to figure it out. You have to sit there and learn it because it's something <clears throat> yes. you're going to have to do. I think in, for my business, I've had to learn how to do everything and I've failed a lot. Oh, and yeah. I've been scared a lot. In fact, 
I was downstairs, my husband's home. And I said, wish me luck. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm about to interview Brian. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm not, I said, I'm excited to talk to Brian. I said, but I always get nervous when it comes to technology because it's new for me. But I always say, whenever you have any kind of anxiety or fear, you have to take one step, one action. And so whether that's for me, I love making a list and I love yeah. hearing that you have whiteboards because I do too. When I have <laughs> everything written down, it just makes me feel better. And there's nothing better than to have a list and be able to check things off that list. Right. Just feels so good. But yeah, that's my favorite slogan too. Just do it by Nike. Right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Having those lists is incredibly important. And I was just watching a video on this guy, Jason Capital, some guy that I spoke with on a couple of events. We live in a day and age where YouTube is readily available and you can watch tutorials. So even though, like you were saying, oh, I want to hire someone to do social media, I understand Facebook ads very slightly, but there are courses out there that when I want to really delve into them, even though it's so complex, I could sit there on YouTube for, Oh yeah. Uh, I think he said he took like four or five days and he learned it himself and now it makes him money. So when somebody says I need to hire someone for my social media, yes, I agree. Eventually you'll need to hire somebody. But you need to understand the complexities, not you, but the person that's going to social media needs to understand the complexities Mm -hmm. of social media so they understand it even when they hire someone. So they know they're either not getting screwed over or they know what they want. But you could go on YouTube at any moment. Even when I did my TED Talk, I was absolutely confused. I have not made a resume in 10 years. I went off Fiverr.com. I immediately paid someone to help me with a resume. I had not done a PowerPoint since college, which was damn near 20 years ago, right? I learned PowerPoint, even though it's a semi-easy process for PowerPoint, I still sat there on a YouTube tutorial after mm-hmm. the TED people were like, you need to do a PowerPoint. I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? Should I bring someone in? Should I hire someone to help me with it? No, I sat on YouTube tutorial and I went one by one and learned how to do a PowerPoint. I was the only person the day of our practice who had a PowerPoint and a full one. I'm talking about like 20 minutes long. I went over the top overboard with it and I just had learned it for the first time in a million years. So you just have to figure things out yourself. And eventually you'll get to the point of having money where you could hire somebody, but it's still good to know these things ahead of time. Yeah. I we couldn't, couldn't learn more. Gary V said, Google is your mama. And I was yeah. stop asking your mama, Google it. And I'm like, it's so true. I have another recorder that I use, this fancy handy recorder, and I ha- it comes with all these buttons and everything. And I was yeah. so intimidated that I was going to break yeah. it or mess it up or it wouldn't record. And I watched YouTube videos on Boom. how to work the thing because the directions didn't really make sense. I'm a visual person and I like seeing Me too. somebody do it. But yeah, same thing for my TED Talk. I was like, oh my gosh, I need a PowerPoint. I need this. How do you do that? I was nervous. Yeah. But it's amazing that we have, you know, and it's funny because my 11 year old is the one that always tells me, mom, YouTube is where it's at. And she knows so many life hacks and how to work so many (laughs) things because she watches YouTube. So smart. Yeah. These kids are brilliant now and it's scary sometimes all the information that is out there. I love one thing that you talk about because I totally agree on it. You talk about some people measure success by money. Yes. And I don't really measure, I mean, money's great. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but I don't measure success by money. 
Can you yes. explain more about that? A hundred percent. And this came over learning with me. You know, my whole thing is money, money, money. And in a sense, it still is. But as time passed and as a decade passed and as 15 years passed, and I started writing out my accolades and my list of accomplishments, I started noticing the trend that the majority of things that I've done and the biggest accomplishments that I can list on a resume, I didn't make one single dollar off 90% of them. Uh-huh. Everything that I've done this last year, I mean, I've spoken, they paid me for some gigs, but from the TED Talk, which I feel like is one of my biggest things, and people, when I tell them I did it, their eyes light up. And I didn't make one penny. Not only did I not make one penny, I invested a month and a half of my time, rehearsals uh-huh. every week for seven weeks until the day. And I consider that one of my biggest accomplishments last year. The thing that went viral, you know, whether you consider that accomplishment or not, but it got me a That's lot That's definitely an accomplishment. That's huge. Yeah, thank you. I didn't make a dollar off that. You know what I mean? I literally not one penny. I even put in my own money when I did the experiment. I had to pay the videographer. And then I raised money and put in my own money to help young people that needed it. And then I presented it to a charity. So it cost me money in this sense to go viral. But I consider that an accomplishment. All my shows, all the hip hop shows before I transitioned out of music, some of my biggest shows that I was on, I didn't get paid a dollar for some of the magazines that I've been in that I feel like is a big accomplishment not $1. So mm-hmm. anyway, the point is you can't measure success based off how much money you make. You know what I mean? Because that's not what defines success one bit whatsoever. But you can define, you know, are you going to ask advice how to run a business from a guy who has $5 million as opposed to the guy who only made 20 grand last year? Of course, that's a whole different mm-hmm. thing. But as far as things in your life and the biggest accomplishments, it has nothing to do with money. And I've learned that so many times. And you know what? In the next 20 years, things that I accomplished, I'm going to put more money into this TV show than anything I guarantee that I've ever done. And hey, nothing may not come out of it, may, but at least I could say one of my biggest accomplishments was I created a TV show, you know? And and again, I may not make a dollar in the next three years out of this thing, but it's still something that I feel like is a big accomplishment for me because I'm learning from scratch. And I'm nervous, even with the TV show, I'm deathly afraid. I've never made a TV show. I have no idea even what format to shoot it in. I'm literally diving in head first with no idea what to do. So I've been spending my weekends watching YouTube on how to make reality shows and how to make competition shows and what cameras to use and asking people like, I'm learning from the ground up and I got a partner who understands it a little more than me. So I'm learning from her. So again, that's back to awesome, that point. Though. The that biggest is- accomplishment you will have. And that's why I don't like people to stress. You want to stress about money because it's a tool, but when it comes to accomplishing things, that's not what it's about. Yeah, money helps because you can invest it in your business and do more. But I completely agree. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have, I don't even like to say followers on social media. They're like family to me. But I've never really had, I've only had a few haters. And there was one guy that came on when my book first published. And he was like, I hate people like you that try to make money off of their story. And, oh. and I was just crushed. And then I thought, he what had an no idiot. idea that I will probably, I mean, it'll be a miracle if I do, but the amount of money that it costs to write a book by the time you pay the editor, you pay a design team to help you with a cover, it costs money to print the book. Like it costs you your time. It took me two years to write it. I have not made money. In fact, my publisher, that I had, I had to get my rights back because they never paid me royalties. So the first year of my book, I was traveling all across the country. I sold out of books. 
at every single book signing I had, thanks to social media, wow. of social media. And I didn't get paid one penny, not and one. It's your biggest, like, and it's one of your biggest accomplishments. Yeah. That and is crazy. So, you know, it's like, for me, if you're passionate about something, then it doesn't feel like work. You just keep doing it and sharing your message and doing what you do. And then it does lead to opportunities down the road where you can make some money. But at right. first, it's like, I was doing the same thing as you last year. I was saying yes to everything. I was yeah. like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll write that blog. Yes, I'll do that interview. Yes, I'll do that You know, TV show. Whatever. I was saying yes. And I'm kind yeah. of in the same place where I'm writing down my goals. And I had to really, it was hard because I had to say no to some things. And it's hard to say no sometimes. It is. It is. But it keeps you on the path where you're going. And right. I love that you are doing this and you're learning. And I have no doubt in my mind that this will be a hit. Now, there are so many people that actually ask me about branding. And it's so funny because people will say, who's your brander? Or who does your social media for you? And I'm like, "Uh, that would be me. Yeah, (laughs) It's all me. I don't have a big team yet. Yet, it would help. But I have so many people that ask me questions and I feel like I'm learning. I'm no expert in that, but they ask me (laughs) questions like, okay, how do I build my audience? How often do I post? And, you know, I even been asked, how do you make a video go viral? And you, you're the king of viral, like making something go viral. How often do you feel that people should be posting on Instagram, for instance, for Um, their business? My style has kind of switched up in the last couple of years about posting. So a couple of years back, I went back on my Instagram. I kind of did like a makeover. And what I mean by that is I remember posting a lot of filler, like a lot of stuff to, but it, you know, it was smart filler. The things I would post would be like questions or if you could sit on a bench with somebody for an hour, dead or alive, it would be, you know, and that would gain me a ton of comments. And then I remember I made like a conscious effort. I told my videographer, I was like, listen, this next year, I'm not posting one single thing unless it's 100% significant, unless it was a serious photo shoot, unless it was a radio, unless it was something. So when people go to my page, it's like one big resume. And I turn my page into almost like a resume where everything, if somebody, a financier is like, I want to give you $5 million, he can go to any post on my page. And it's something that was an accomplishment or something mm-hmm. I did. So my, well, it's really a scorecard. I hate to say that, yeah, but it's really it a scorecard. Is. And before I was verified on Instagram and like my yeah. husband doesn't know about, he goes like, I remember waking up one day and looking and somebody had sent me a text message saying, oh my gosh, congratulations on the blue check. And I was like, Best what are you talking about? And I looked, I was like, oh my God, I'm verified. <laughs> Finally, I've been trying so hard. Too. Yes. But the thing is, I would go to like one of my first biggest talks, this is before I did my TED talk, was I got to share the stage with Mel Robbins, Lewis Howes, Brendan Burchard, Jay Shetty, just to name a few. They were like the top speakers in the world. And I got to go on stage and I was so nervous. (laughs) But I remember I was the only speaker there that wasn't verified. I was the only person that didn't have like a crew with me. You know, it was just like, just me. And I remember some of the people treated me a little bit different. Like I was not, oh, she's not 
verify. They looked at my Instagram and that's the first thing people do whenever I'm at an event. They don't ask for your business card. Is that true for you? Like when I go to an event, they always ask, what's your handle? Like, yep. And they look and that's your scorecard. Okay. Whether or not they're going yep. to, you know, talk to you anymore, have you on their show, be nice to you, whatever. I hate to say that, but people do that everywhere I go. They oh, yeah. want to know your handle. What's your handle? Yep. Do people oh. do that to you? Even when I go out and get a girl's number, I don't get girls' numbers anymore. We exchange Instagrams. And there was a period of time I was helping grow a ton of Instagrams for people. So two quick stories. I was growing this yoga page for this girl, Jamia. And I had just gotten her like 20,000 followers, something like that. And she said that when she was selling merch at a booth at this convention or whatever, a yoga convention, she said every single person that walked up to her booth within the first minute asked for her Instagram. And then when they saw she was at 20,000 followers, she was told me specifically, everyone was like, oh, so you're a serious business. So that's how it's looked at nowadays. If you have a specific amount of followers, mm-hmm. I also had a client who was an actress and she told me that on her auditions, they would check to see how many followers you have. And she said she lost jobs even to less talented people because of the fact that she had less followers because they want to put someone in their movie or the show or whatever that can help promote it with a bigger amount of followers. So she said she lost gigs over the fact that she had a low social media following. One of my best friends, he had a platinum record in the UK. He toured like 80 cities. He made hundreds of thousands of dollars. The label would sign the song, but they refused to sign him as an artist because his social media wasn't up to par. This was like wow. seven years ago or eight yeah. years ago. Could you imagine? You have a hit record. You're touring around the country. He was on a reality show, wow. literally sold a million copies or whatever with a famous DJ and they would refuse to sign him because his social media was not up to par. This is the odd world we are living in nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I embrace it because that's the way it is. And the verification definitely extremely helps me. But I was in your scenario too. Even though I was verified, I would speak at these events. And these guys, in my opinion, maybe not popularity, but with what they're doing with business, were light years ahead of me. And there were days, even though I was speaking about how to go viral and they're speaking about something else, I'm like, I still can't believe I'm speaking with some of these people. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, financially I'm doing okay, but I'm probably the lowest on the totem pole of all these people, you know, and I'm up here speaking in front of the same crowd. So I'm like, wow, this is nuts. But you know, we all start somewhere. I mean, I remember when I started my Instagram, I really started it because my oldest daughter was on Instagram and I wanted to be able to follow her, kind of stalk her and see what she was doing. (laughs) And so then when I got my book deal, the publisher said, we don't do any marketing for you. It's up to you. If you want to sell your book, you have to have people know about it. You have to market it. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do I even do that? And then I got asked to speak at an event for Lorna Jane and that they sent me a text and said, your media is live. And I pushed the link and there were all these people with millions of followers. Right. And then there was me and I had like 412 followers and there were pictures of like my daughter and my dog and I was like, Oh my God, I have to get serious about this. And so every day I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I actually keep all those posts because now when I'm coaching people, I say, no, go look at my Instagram from when I first started and look how awful it is. Like it's horrible. (laughs) And just keep doing something and you learn as you go. And then you can kind of fine tune your message and you get to know your audience and your tribe. and. I think one of the reasons people gravitate towards you is because 
you are authentic and people can smell when it's authentic. I think, I think you can tell when it's not authentic and you are the real deal. You're the real deal though. I mean, you're like, your stuff is funny and I love that you use humor to get through hard times. I think maybe did you learn, was that kind of one of your coping mechanisms as a kid? It was, I just didn't realize it. I think, so my mom's side of the family, they're very hot-headish, like all of them. It's weird. They have this like weird thought process about them, negative. My dad, maybe not his father, but my dad, I think now that I got older, I started realizing things that I pulled from my dad, which I didn't give him credit for. So when I was a kid, all he did was joke around. All he did was shoot skits. Back in the days with those old school camcorders with the VHS day, when he got like split custody and we would see him, we would make these funny skits and he was always making jokes, always pranking, always doing. And I think it wasn't until later I realized that I got his humor. So he has this kind of humor where like, he'll be at my house, see the fan behind me. He'll be like, son, you finally have a fan. And he's like, you get it, a fan? And I'm like, yeah, dad, it will be outside. He's like, look, there's my son. And I'm like, he's like, you get it, son? I was like, yes, dad. And then I started noticing that I start saying these jokes to other people my age and they're all looking at me like I'm crazy and I'm busting out these corny jokes. I have this like corny side to me, nerd side. Like I've had people that I meet in person have told me, they're like, you are not at all what I thought you were going to be when I met you. I was like, what do you mean by that? And so many times people have been like, well, I thought you were going to be this arrogant guy who thought he's so cool. I'm like, but I'm not. I'm a nerd who likes science. and I like looking at the stars. And I like picking up shells of the beach. Like I get fascinated by plants. When people meet me, they realize I'm a totally different person. Not that I portray myself anyway. I post what I post online. But when you get to know me as a human and not just the stuff you see me, my yeah. highlight reel, you notice that I'm just this cornball that likes joking around and having fun. And that's just me. I can't suppress it. But you got to just be who you are. And yeah, the comedy stuff definitely got me through a lot of dark days because you have to joke. I mean, what other way can you get through this life? When you've been through so much negative, you don't have a choice other than to be positive. So when your back is against the wall, where else is there to go? You can't go through the wall. You have to move forward. This is the only way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, one of the things that went viral that you posted, I was like, what is he doing now? It's always with you. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is he up to now? Yeah, I always get and, that. Like, what are you up to? And you did one of your videos that was proposal. Oh, tell God, us about that. that. Easy. That, that was, was so all funny. over the news, like all yeah. over the place. Yeah, and the story about that was crazy because we had came up with that idea six months prior to shooting it, and I had no idea how to get on the damn jumbotron at the Heat game. It's like winning the lotto. It's not that easy to get them to agree to let you get on the Jumbotron. So yeah, I remember- How did you I, do that? I kind of got in trouble a little bit. How it worked, long story short, was I originally had reached out to a guy that I knew legitimately proposed to his girl on the Jumbotron at the Heat game. It has to be set up through the Miami Heat organization. It takes some time to process this or whatever. You don't have to pay for anything. You just need to get in there somehow. So I remember sending him a message. I'm like, hey, I remember you proposed to your girl. I was wondering if you still have the connection to the Jumbotron. And he knew what I was doing immediately. He goes, what are you going to be trolling someone for content? I was like, no. Ah. I'm like, no, I'm not trolling anyone. I'm just trying to pull some. He goes, I can't give you my connection for that. So we were going to go through with it anyway. And all of a sudden, by I don't know what to call it, by odd statistics, by the grace of the heavens above, my boy 
who's my videographer happened to be at a client's house because him and his father own a blind business and the photography business. And he overheard one of his clients talking about the Miami Heat and the Jumbotron. It was just out of the blue. And wow. we, were, we were already talking about it. This was already something that was in motion. And it, we like willed it. You know, I believe that you could will things sometimes. If you throw things out there, it'll come back. So he had to lie to a client, a client that he was making money off. He had to say, oh, that's crazy. My boy just wants to propose to his girl. Do you, have, you think you have a connection? And she was like the direct connection to the Jumbotron. So I had to go in an email with the Miami Heat and lie to them for three weeks about what I want to do and how I want to propose to my girl. I felt bad, but it was just like five people in the email. And, oh my um, God, are you serious? Yeah. I didn't so know I had, you had to do all that. Yeah, so I had gotten oh, all the actors. Oh, wow. And, and the day of that, what people don't know is that I had about eight actors planted in the audience to hype it up more. So it just wasn't me and the girl. All of those people, not all of them, eight people in the surrounding seats, I strategically placed them and they bought their own seats and I put them to be a part of the thing to make it even more. And I already had it planned out to a T. So it was like three days before the heat writes me back and they go, hey, we're not going to do it in the aisles anymore, which I already had planned for weeks. We're going to do it in the DJ booth. They said, if you do it in the DJ booth, you'll have the host of the arena, Dale, to be on board. It'll be a bigger thing. I oh said, listen, my gosh. I said, I, I love the idea and I appreciate it, but I already have eight of my family members that I got tickets for that are going to be there. So I need to do it in the aisle. So I was, the whole thing almost got ruined before we even got out the gate. So long story oh short, we, uh, a couple of days prior, we practiced it and I'm practicing the ring drop. The ring drop, I practiced for like weeks, like kept dropping the ring, dropping the ring, seeing I could do it correctly. So we get there and me and her, we're not together in real life. So we have to hold hands. We had to pretend that we were really a couple. And I noticed the girl that was in the email, she had a name tag on. I saw her walk by and like check on a piece of paper that we were in our seats. I knew it was her. And we had talked about it. Me and this girl were like, yo, that's her. She's making sure we're here. So they told me that no one's going to tell me anything. That when you see your name on the Jumbotron, get your ass in the aisles and propose. So we just had to be smart and keep our eyes out. I had were you nervous? I was so nervous. I mean, okay. What you had said before about being nervous about stuff, I realized that this last couple of years that if you are not nervous, if you don't want to throw up, if you're not sweating, then it's not going to go anywhere. If you are in your comfort zone, the content that you post will probably just be average content. But if you do something that makes you so sick to your stomach, uh -huh. I promise you, it's going to get you a real reaction. And I got some backlash from that thing. Like I got some backlash, which actually motivated me. So I got in the aisle. The whole plan was to drop the ring. So I lose it, but then she was going to walk out on me. And we even had an exit strategy. We figured out where the doors were. I even had a fake ring in my pocket in case we were stopped by police and wanted to file a police report for a missing $10,000 ring. Because oh. if they, yeah, so I had everything planned out because if they were to stop me and we would have to file a police report, I didn't want to go that far. So if I got stopped by police, I was going to be like, oh my oh God, my I'm God. such an idiot. I yeah. have the ring here. So I dropped the ring. She ends up walking out on me. If you look closely at the end of the video, some guy starts laughing. He goes, ha, 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 what an idiot. After the thing goes viral and it gets posted online, a bunch of people knew that guy. Like three people wrote me, yo, he used to be my old boss. He's a scumbag. So we had found out who this guy was that was talking bad about me saying I'm an idiot. Turns out he's some scumbag. Anyway, we had eight actors planted in the crowd. I told them all to hype it up. I said, when I leave, start looking through the aisles. Pretend the ring's over there. 
then pretend the ring's over there and get everybody looking, get everybody involved to make it so much more hype than it would have been. So some anchor from Fox News or something was in the arena. He tweeted out some idiot just lost his ring. Then oh my God. Somebody in the Heat office knew my friend and they recognized me and they wrote my boy and he had wrote me. He goes, bro, they just figured out who you were and what it was. And he got a message saying, yo, did Brian Breach really just do this and lie oh. to everybody? And they started getting mad. Then my, my videographer got a message from his client saying, what the fuck? Why would you fucking do this? I'm in so much trouble. First of all, first of all. They did, did not like, like the prank. They didn't like it because I had lied. But understand this. They do proposals every two days. Okay, every three days. So what if somebody drops the ring? What's the big deal? I don't do pranks that hurt anybody. I don't do pranks that involve anyone. It involved nobody but me and my people. How everybody else reacted around me, it wasn't like Borat. If you remember Borat, he got people fired from his job. Oh, like, my God. For saying stuff. So anyway, the next day, this is the funny part. Next day, I get a call from Channel 7 or Channel 10, whoever it was. And this was the same channel that originally posted the other one that had gone viral. So they called me up and they go, hey, is this the person that had lost the ring of the game yesterday? I say, yeah, it's me. And they go, can we ask you a question? Was that real or was that a hoax? My reaction was this. I'm like, do you still want to run the story if I tell you it was fake? And they started laughing. They're like, yeah, we'll still run the story if it's fake. And I said, yes, it was a prank. Also, I'm the guy that you guys ran the story about, the homeless guy giving back thing that went viral. And they were like, you're the same guy. And I'm like, Yep, that's me. They go, oh, now we really want to do the story. So wow. They sent out the videographer and still they didn't realize who it was. So I told the guy that got here and he goes, wait, wait, you're the same guy from the homeless thing? Because that went like internationally crazy viral. That was like beyond. He calls his producer on the phone and he's like, yo, you know who I'm here with, right? The guy that did the heat thing last night. This is the guy that we ran the story about in front of Target who did the homeless thing during Christmas. And yeah, I hear I the producer, that. he's like, you got to confirm it's him. You gotta make sure it's him. Make sure it's him. And anyway, oh my gosh! But you know what? Yeah. You know, but look at how much work went into this. Like what I'm hearing from you, whether you're yeah. planning a huge prank, yeah, yeah. or a TED talk, or a post. Like it's something you really think about and plan right. out and work for. And that is what I think a lot of people kind of miss. Like they don't yeah. realize how much hard work goes into, oh. like, yeah. I remember somebody had told me I was on my book tour. Oh my gosh, you look like you're having so much fun. You're in Miami and then you're in North Carolina and back in LA and Dallas. But I'm working. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Like I have to remind myself to eat. It's been right. nonstop. Because it is, it's a lot of work. And that's something that can be misleading sometimes on social media is right. everything looks like so glamorous and easy. Oh, God. But in real life, there's a lot of failures. There's a lot oh, of More losing. failures than wins. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're not failing, then you're not doing enough. Oh, failing is the only way to learn. There's literally no other way. I even got backlash from the heat prank. And after I got that backlash, I went harder at what I wanted to do because it pissed me off so much that I got negative backlash from only a couple of people. But what they said to me annoyed me so much that it actually motivated me to do the next thing. And the next thing is what brought me to being on a documentary and working with a partner to have my own TV show. So if it wasn't for that little motivation of them talking crap on some AM radio station about me not asking permission from the heat and it's fucked up what I did or whatever, 
that wouldn't have got me almost to get my own TV show because then I put up a billboard over 95. So it's Oh my God, I remember that. Yeah, these little chain of events that happen and the further you go, the more it snowballs, you Mm -hmm. know, and you have to fail. I mean, I failed at so many, bro, the first, when I switched out of music to skits, my early skits sucked. I mean, they were horrible to me and I had to go through a process of making bad ones so I can make a couple good ones. Honestly, I haven't made a skit or a prank in almost eight months or something now because I've been getting like legitimate stuff and it turned into this legitimate stuff now. Mm -hmm. Speaking and doing all this cool stuff. It's it's crazy. You never know what trajectory your life is going to take, but you have to keep doing stuff. And Mm. when you were talking about how much you need to post, although I've been posting a little less lately, you have to post on a consistent basis because consistency is what makes people want to follow you. And I always go back to this one story. It's a real quick story. It's about the Rick Ross and 50 Cent beef. I don't know if you, if oh, you follow Oh, I remember. Yeah. But you said a quote from 50 Cent. Oh, yeah. You love. No dough better than no dough. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. My favorite quote. And so just a long story short, when they were beefing, because 50 like tends to destroy career. So the perception was 50 did so much stuff to this guy. I mean, really bad stuff. He went to his mom's job and filmed his mom sleeping. It was bad. So people thought Rick Ross was done. But what Rick Ross did was he kept, dropping music over and over. No matter what was going on with the 50 Cent beef, he kept making music and they kept being hits. And you know what that did? It weathered him through this weird hip hop beef of a storm. And he went on to just keep making hits. And the perception was he did not lose the battle. Now Ja Rule, back in the days, the perception was he lost the battle because it wasn't about 50 Cent, it was about his legal troubles. And he stopped making music and he stopped posting. So forever and a day, 20 years later, people to this day will say, Ja Rule got killed by 50 Cent, he disappeared. No, if he would have kept posting music and was smart with the consistency of music, mm-hmm. the perception today would be Ja Rule's a legend, he kept making music. So I give Rick Ross actually props for that because he kept making music and the same lesson applies to social media. If you're constantly posting stuff, you're gonna gain followers. If you stop, you're gonna lose followers and people are gonna look at you as, oh, he fell off, he fell off, he fell off. No, I didn't uh-huh. fall off, I'm just planning stuff behind the scenes. I didn't mm-hmm. fall off anywhere, but that's the perception. You consistently mm-hmm. post up, it looks like you're good. It looks like you made it, you're nonstop, and that's what people follow, and that's what motivates people. See you keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny because I had hired someone to help me with things for my website, or, right. you know, website, podcast, this and that. And she goes, well, you know, maybe you should, you know, only do your podcast like once a month or once every two weeks. And I was like, yeah. No, I was no. like, it's, I was like, no, it, it, won't, take, it won't take off that way. I was it like, I need to be doing at least once a week. Like it's consistency, yeah. you know, and yeah. I am not a expert on branding or any of that, but I know what works for me when I see somebody and they're consistent, I learn to expect it. And right. then I follow them and I start to get excited for what they're going to produce. What's their next? What are they doing? And also it builds like I trust them. You know, it's like that. Oh, I trust that they're going to be there. I trust that, you know, for me, I don't know. And I'm like, Oh, I will always get this person's email. Like if I'm on their email list, I start to expect every Monday morning, where's my email from that person? Yes. Yes. And that's such an amazing point. I've said this to people that ask me about this kind of stuff. Perfect example. I don't book hip hop shows anymore, but there's this guy For 10 years, he sends me emails still on who I want to book or he'll send me a list of hip hop artists if I want to book them. And 
it's so amazing that this guy sends me this email list when I haven't booked a show in 10 years, but guess who I'm going to go to if I ever do end up booking a hip hop show again, the one guy that has sent me a list of names who I could book for 10 years straight. And that has to do with business. Like even a dentist who's constantly posting. If I see this guy posting for two years, eventually I will leave my dentist and I'll sway towards him because this guy's constantly posting. He's showing his business on a He's showing basis. that he cares and that he's got yes. passion about what yes. he does. And that's how you get clients. And that's why people are going to follow you when they see you're nonstop with it. And they'll remember that. People remember that stuff. If my dentist goes out of business, I'm going to sit and like, oh, should I Google a dentist? No. I've been watching this guy post on my feed for four years straight about his dentist practice. I'm going to go with him because it looks yeah. like, you know, it's remembering it. It's that consistently that it makes you remember who you need to go to, who you're going to follow. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's important. so important, but it's a challenge when you're working for me. I even had somebody say, oh, you coach clients. I'm like, yeah, I still coach <laughs> during the day. And it's a challenge to post on all the different, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Oh, it's a challenge. Yeah. What do you do as an entrepreneur to build your resilience, to be resilient and to make sure that you're not doing too much or putting too much on your plate? Because for me, I tend to put way too much on my plate and I know I'm the one that's doing it, but I want to do everything. And sometimes it's hard to kind of narrow in and just go, this is what I need to do. Yeah. How do you stay resilient as an entrepreneur? Right. Yeah, it's just my mindset, my tenacity. And I think being pulled in one direction or the other, it's a little tricky. So there are days where I've been told so many times, stop doing a hundred things. Even in my bio, I remember when I was looking for a manager, he's like, you don't want to write that you're this, 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 and this. You want a clear call mm -hmm. action. You want to clear what you are. And I agree with them. And I agree with everybody. So many people have told me that, but then I don't because I don't want to be perceived as one thing. If I get the show on the air, when I get the show in the air and I'm the host of it, I still don't want to be known as Brian, just the host of America's Gone Viral. Every yeah. room I walk into, I'm introduced in a different way. I've been introduced and dragged around rooms by people. This is Brian. He did a TED Talk. Next room. This is Brian. Something he did went viral. Hey, this is Brian. He's verified on Instagram. I kind of like that in a sense because I want to be considered all different things. But as far as, you know, as far as my tenacity to not stop, I wake up and I feel it. It's something you have to feel, you know, you have to know that that's what you want. You have to keep moving forward. No matter how many directions I'm pulled in, I feel like this weird need to always have to create something and have to build. You know, if I lost everything tomorrow, then following day, I may take a minute to reflect, but I'd be back building something, whether it be a social media following or something, you know, I'd immediately start building, but it's a tricky line. You want to be pulled in a bunch of directions because it means you have a lot of opportunities coming in, but then you also want to focus and hone in on one thing, which is why mm -hmm. I had to pull back from everything I did this last year and just focus on the show. You have to be smart as an entrepreneur and know which direction you need to go in at the moment. It's going to get you the better opportunities. You got to learn how to prioritize what's going to work at the moment and typically what you need to do. So mm -hmm. whether you need to draw up a plan again, make a vision board, write things down, but you also need to have it in you. It's just mm -hmm. this thing of keep moving forward. And it really depends on what mindset you're in. There are times that I love doing 100 things at one time. And again, I burnt myself out last year with doing 100 things at one time, and I couldn't get a foothold in one specific thing because I'm doing 1,000. You know, mm -hmm. I have a tendency to start from the bottom in everything I do. When I started speaking, my TED Talk was the first time I ever talked 
in my life like that in front of a crowd. And then I wow. started from the bottom and I went. When I wanted to do acting, even though I'm not an actor, I woke up one morning and I was bored and I said, I'm going to start from the bottom. And I started becoming an extra, even though I could have got stuff and bigger stuff because people knew who I was. I remember sitting there as an extra and they're like, looking at my Instagram, they're like, what are you doing here, bro? You're verified. You got like this many followers. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? I want to learn the process. Mm -hmm. When I started a printing business, I had to start from the scratch. When I started a clothing, I had no idea what I was doing. You have to start from the bottom, get in there and learn the process and then just pick a direction to go. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that about you. I love that. Even if you are afraid of something, you just go for it and you do it and you figure it out. I love that. Well, so what is the best way for people to see all amazing things that you have coming up, your TV show, learn more about that, you know, your TED Talk, where can people find you? Yes, the best place for everybody to find me right now is on MySpace. No, I'm kidding. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the best is, let me see if I can remember all my handles. Instagram is Brian Breach. Twitter is Brian underscore Breach. YouTube is Brian Breach 03. My Facebook is Brian Breach 03. And then the America's gone viral. One of my main hub is Instagram these days. Instagram is, for me, it's brought me the most opportunities. And the funny part about it was when Instagram first came out, I said, I do not want to get on this platform. I'm tired. I already have four other platforms. I don't want to do it. One of my best friends, business partner, he's like, do it. You jump on everything that's new that's moving and get on it. And Are you on TikTok? Yes. So I got on TikTok. I initially got blackmailed for my name. And somebody just reached out to me saying the same guy tried to blackmail him. So some guy tried to get $250 because he found out that I wasn't on TikTok. He took the name and he tried to get $250 out of me. So I tried to figure out a way to get it out from under him. And I got my name back without paying him a dime. Wow, that's crazy. And he did it to, I don't know if you're familiar with David Meltzer. Um, He's a big speaker as well. And he did it to another guy. Some guy three days ago wrote me, hey, did you get your name stolen by this guy as well? I said, yep, but I got my name back. And I told him how I got it back. Wow. Um, Yes, so I'm on TikTok. And one of my videos hit 150,000 views. And that was only only like 2,000 followers. So TikTok is a new platform to get on because you could grow very quickly. It's not the same as Instagram. I mean, you go on TikTok and you post one video that goes in the For You page and it hits, you could get 5,000 followers in the day. Well, so what do you post on TikTok? Because I just opened an account and I put a video up and my daughter who's 11 was like, mom, that's not what TikTok is. You are too old to be on TikTok. And I was like, no. I was like, The Rock is on TikTok? Yeah, just Will say Smith that. is on, Gary V, like all these big yes. people are now on TikTok. What is your video that went viral? Are you talking? Are you dancing? Or what is, so I'll go I, look, I, I'll go follow you. <laughs> I had shot a skit about my ex being trash and you got to be very strategic on what you put as the default pick. So I already got suspended on TikTok for seven days for it being too sexual. And it wasn't even that sexual. This was a skit I shot for Instagram. So I realized that everybody on there is young and they're all kids, but it's good for older people as well because eventually these are going to be consumers, people that can buy yeah. a book, buy your product. They're going to grow eventually and you could transfer all these people over to your Instagram page. Mm-hmm. You can promote your Instagram and bring them over that way or you can get new fans as they get older. The Rock had fans 30 years ago and now The Rock has fans that are eight years old because mm-hmm. he's in Disney movies or whatever. So the things you post on TikTok, in my opinion, they're more like quick things like something crazy that happens out in public. I posted some clips of my skits, individual stuff. You could shoot stuff specifically for TikTok. 
there's these things where you do it. I think it's called a duet where if somebody posts something funny, I don't know if you've seen it recently. There was a family and they were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. For real. Oh my God. Yeah. You could take that and you could shoot something next to it. And so it looks like they're looking at you. Yeah. Right. But that whole, you're too old to be on TikTok. That is nonsense. That's irrelevant. I'm it telling is, my 11-year-old that. She's like, Mom, you're too old. And I'm like, no. I'm not too old. I don't feel too old to do that. Exactly. So, yeah. Age is irrelevant, but it is more for funny, quick stuff. But I do have some motive. I know a guy who's basically viral on there, and all he posts is stuff about, hey, guys, you can make money online doing this. And he edits it and he shoots in a funny, hey, guys, you can make $5 in five minutes if you go here. And he keeps posting these things, and his page is blowing up. So wow. you can use it for whatever you're trying to gear towards your audience, but, you know, make it kind of humorous and try to put some funny into it and learn it. I still have to learn TikTok, to be honest with you. I posted like eight posts. One of mine went 150,000 views, but you got to realize they are young and you're gearing it towards the young. I did some video where I cut my finger and I posted ketchup on it. And all these kids were like, that's not real blood. And I'm like, obviously, I thought that was common sense. And I'm like writing, I know, I thought that was obvious. It's ketchup. That's hilarious, though. It's just a whole new audience, and it's, It's you know, that's our future. That's the future. TikTok is blowing up, and it's going to be a great place. The start of TikTok, you're going to be able to advertise soon. I think you can now. You're going to be able to promote a product. It's going to get into all that. It's brand new. I'm doing it. That's one of my goals this year is to get on. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. You're amazing. I cannot wait to see your new TV show. I'm so excited. Really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. We could have talked for hours about more stuff. I appreciate it. I know. I know. Well, I'll have you on again when your show's out because I want to talk about it. I'm excited. Let me know. I'm ready. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us this week on True Grit and Grace podcast. If you like it, please rate it or share it with your friends. That would help too. If you're not yet on the newsletter list, come over to AmberlyLago.com and jump on it. While you're there, you can grab a free downloadable gratitude journal and you might just want to check out my book or even check out my monthly motivational membership. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.